Now, we remember there's been a whole bunch of drama going on, well, in the entire world with the pandemic, but specifically with the Batman movie. They got into the Batman movie. I think uh, Matt Reeves said they got like 25% finished shooting before they had to shut things down. Then they started things up again. And then Robert Pattinson himself ended up catching COVID, so they had to shut things down again. Well, according to reports... The Batman is back in production again. They are up and running again. Now, they're not saying... I've seen a couple of sites saying they've started back up because Robert Pattinson is back. The actual real report is that they don't know if Robert Pattinson's back on set yet, but they have started production again because not every scene has Robert Pattinson in it. So even if he's not quite back yet, they can start. They can keep shooting a lot of other stuff and try to get back on schedule. So this is up and running again. You know, we talked about this a little bit when things got shut down, but I've continued to see people say this, Aaron. I've seen a number of, of sites and people online and, and some predominant people saying, you know, see, they shouldn't have started things up again because Robert Pattinson caught COVID, the safety procedures don't work and all this kind of stuff. To me, them shutting down and even more so them starting things back up again Nothing said Robert Pattinson caught it on set. Right. So let's just be clear about that. To me, and this is what I argued before, but I think them being able to return to production so quickly just kind of doubles down on that. Them shutting things down and catching the fact that Robert Pattinson had COVID proves that the system does work. Mm -hmm. Like the, the system is not in place to make sure nobody in the world gets you know, COVID-19, it's there that we can protect ourselves as much as possible. So if somebody catches it, that we're able, we're able to identify it right away. We're able to pull the trigger on, we got mechanisms in place to shut everything down, make sure everybody's safe. And then once everything's back to normal, then we can get back to it. My argument has always been, despite the fact that I still see today people saying, oh, you see, you can't have any safety procedures. No, no, no. This proves, and the fact that they're able to get back to production so quickly proves that if you are smart and if you are cautious and you plan properly and you put the right procedures in place, you can catch something before it becomes bad and then you can get back to work as soon as you can. Him catching it, them identifying it, and them getting back to work to me, Aaron, shows that the system worked, the system did what it was supposed to do, and now we can let Matt Reeves get back to making this Batman movie, which we're all only more excited about since they put out the last trailer. Anyway, your overall thoughts in this situation. Are you surprised they were able to get back to shooting so quickly? You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite sayings, which is hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And that is what they seem to have done here. You know, we can't plan for no one getting COVID. We live in a world where we have a very, very contagious virus and we don't necessarily know how people are, you know, where people are catching it. Like you said, you know, Robert Pattinson may not have gotten it on set. It's very likely that he could have gotten it from, you know, being in an elevator with someone in the hotel that he was staying in, uh, wherever they're shooting it. Um, so if you plan that people are going to get COVID and that you are going to have to shut down, but you're doing all the safety protocols to make sure to limit people's exposure. You know, I, I spoke to Leslie Ann Brandt, who, as you know, plays Maze on uh, Lucifer, and they are starting to go back into production next week. They've been having weeks of safety meetings online, you know, and going over all the protocols. And there's a lot of systems in place that if you do the work in the front end, you front load all that work of creating specific structures and, hey, 
if we need to shut down, here's the protocols for how it's going to work. And then here's the protocols for how we're going to pick right back up again. Then you don't have the confusion of what are we going to do? Everybody already knows what you're going to do. So I say good on them for putting the system in, uh, putting a system in place that allows them to shut down and then go right back up. And you know what? We're probably going to see this happen again. On, yes. on on the very say on Batman, you know, there's a they've proven that they know exactly how to deal with it so that it doesn't spread. Now, if we had seen reports that 300 crew and background members of Batman had, you know, gotten covid, that would have been the problem. Yeah. The fact that we didn't hear about a massive outbreak shows that they are doing something right. And I think that a lot of other productions would be wise to pay attention and find out exactly what they did to prevent the widespread of it and keep it contained. So the question for you guys is, what are your feelings on the ulcer? I've seen a lot of different responses to this. To me, and apparently to Aaron, this is proof that if you plan right, you act properly, you put strict procedures in place, you can catch it, identify it, correct it, and get back to work. How do you feel about this? Are you excited about Batman being back in production? I kind of am. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe... Just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get on to main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Tremaine, who writes, Big fan since November of 2016. Good to have you here, Tremaine. Thanks for following for that long. With so many movies moving their release dates to December or 2021, there's really no real movies to go to the theaters to see till maybe Disney Soul, if it keeps its release date and assuming Black Widow moves dates. Do you think the movie theaters that are already open can stay afloat that long? I mean, that's pretty much two, maybe three months if Soul ends up moving dates as well. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, this does pose a major, major problem and challenge for theaters because before it was all about can we get the theaters open get old archived you know catalog movies in theaters to get people back into the habit of starting to come back to theaters again in time for tenant new mutants and and the other films that were going to come afterwards and build that momentum well they were able to get the theaters open great they got it out there for tenant Tenet has made over $200 million, hasn't been fantastic, but it again, it's, it's hard to say whether that's good or bad because, well, we're in the pandemic and they're trying to get things moving again. The problem is this, though. With a lot of other weeks, Wonder Woman is moving. It looks like Black Widow is moving. That deadline report came out yesterday. We were talking about that a bit. It's still not official, but it looks like Wonder Woman's going to move. They may move Soul as well. The problem becomes, okay, the theaters got open. But what if they're now open and now there's no new movies? What if now that we're getting to another three-month stretch between now and if we're lucky late November, probably December, where there are no new movies? How does that play out? Well, 
there's a positive way to look at it and then maybe a more realistic way to look at it. If you want to be optimistic and try to stay positive, you can say, well, great. This gives the movie theaters a couple of more months and studios to work with them to really get the word out to the public that the theaters are open. There are still some people out there who don't even realize the movie theaters are open again. So it gives them a few more months if you're trying to be optimistic to get word out there, spread awareness that the theaters are open, go and see Lord of the Rings right now, go and watch King Kong, go and watch Empire Strikes Back and get ready for James, the new James Bond movie coming and get ready for whatever, whenever they're going to open Black Widow. If you want to be optimistic about it, you could look at that as the positive. The negative, and unfortunately, probably the more realistic way of looking at it, is this. This is a disaster for movie theaters. This is an utter disaster for the movie theaters. And by extension, it is an utter disaster for the movie industry as a whole. Because by having to keep moving these movies, these movies aren't making the hundreds of millions of dollars that they could be making if they were in movies. Some have tried, well, maybe let's put it on VOD, and they make crumbs. They make crumbs compared to what they would have made in theaters. This is hurting everybody, and I, I am telling you what, I know AMC, Aaron came out and said a while ago that they have enough financing right now that even if nothing good happens, they can survive into 2021. That's great. But I'm telling you, I am not saying Regal is going to shut down. I am not saying Cinemark is going to shut down. I'm not saying AMC is going to shut down. But all these major, major players are going to be on the brink of oblivion come December. If we now move forward with no other new movies, and by the way, studios are just doing what they think they need to do. They're just trying to navigate this whole pandemic the way everybody else is and the way everybody's trying to figure it out. But we could be in a situation where we could see some big, big major players, companies that have been around for a century. AMC is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. Mm -hmm. We could see these big, major, established companies that make tons of money for the industry really on the absolute brink of oblivion come January 2021 if this is the case. So, uh, and I'm not, I don't have any proposed solutions to it, but it is dire. It's a bad situation. So yes, if we've got no new movies to put in theaters, theaters being open kind of just becomes academic. You can only get people to go back to the theaters to see archived and catalog stuff for so long. Anyway, Aaron, am I over worrying about this? Am I missing a silver lining here? How do you see this? Well, you actually, you're absolutely right. Things are going to change. And speaking of a hundred years, you know, a hundred years ago and a little bit more, we had the Spanish flu of, of, of 1918. And that actually had a huge effect on the film industry, not unlike what's going on today. You know, people were scared to go to the theaters. And so movie theaters were doing everything they can. They were social distancing. They were spreading people out when they're seating. They advertised that, oh, the, you know, we're cleaning the theaters between every person and you know they did all of the same things that we see movie theaters doing today movie theaters in 1918 and 1919 were doing the exact same thing to try to entice people to come back to the theaters now at the time we you know there were a lot of independent theaters and they weren't necessarily tied to any studios what ended up happening was you had people like Adolf Zucker who used Wall Street funding to then buy up a lot of these small theaters you had the 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 evolution of the studio system where MGM was able to come in and purchase huge swaths of movie theaters so they were able to put their films in those theaters and a lot of these independent theaters just 
went away. And so you end up having the evolution of the studio system and studios, you know, making these massive movies. And then the a similar thing also happened in the 1950s with the invention of television. All of a sudden you have people that can sit in their home and have content right there. So what did we get? We got Technicolor. We got um, the hi-fi audio. We got the big movie musicals. Film industry, the film industry had to adapt to say, hey, TV is nice, but we can offer you this. The aspect ratio started to change. And so we saw wider, uh, wider pictures than what you could see on a smaller television. So the film industry adapted and therefore evolved with what was going on. And what we're going to see now, and I don't know what this looks like, but we are going to see another evolution. Will um, AMC evolve and change and continue to grow? Maybe, you know, they might. What happened in 1918 was we got an old, an, an oligopoly where you had very few uh, or companies that were competing. Now with antitrust laws, we may not necessarily have that. It's going to be the wild west moving forward. But the the motto here is adapt or die. I don't know what that looks like, but I do know that for the film industry specifically to survive. They're going to have to start thinking outside of the box. The model pre-pandemic will no longer work. Yeah, and you know it's funny because we I talked about that the a uh, few weeks ago about the whole adapt or die things. Like we've just seen this year in the past year or so, the movie theater industry going one through one of its most major metamorphoses ever, mm -hmm. transitioning to a subscription model that would have been inconceivable forever ago, but we've now got AMC A-List, we've got Regal Unlimited, Cinemark's got their plan, Alamo Draft House. We saw this huge transition and now they get hit in the face with the pandemic. It's like, right. well, well, now how do we adapt again? And unlike the 1950s, where people could only watch a black and white TV screen and limited, you know, content, people now have basically movie theaters in their house, very affordable, you know, flat screen aspect ratio, surround sound. You know, people can really build a movie theater essentially in their home. So, what are what, what is the film industry and what are the theaters going to do? I hope that Alamo Draft House survives. You know, that's my spot. Like, right. <laughs> I love that place. So we'll see. You're also a Texas girl. So there you go. Yes, I am. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you, maybe I'm I'm too paranoid about this, but yeah, I, I think this is gonna be really challenging waters for the movie theater industry over the next few months. I mean, they got open, but if there's no new content to play, it's gonna be a struggle. What do you think is gonna happen? What do you think are some really good options for the movie theaters right now? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down. Let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by our friend, Sam. And Sam writes, Hi, John. So yesterday, Disney released a trailer for all of the upcoming content for Disney+. Plus. Yes, they did. For the rest of the year. And among those was WandaVision. This makes me think, if Black Widow does get delayed then WandaVision will be what starts phase four. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Thanks and have a good day. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And here's the really interesting part. The interesting part about this, to me, isn't even WandaVision. WandaVision isn't the interesting thing here. To me, the interesting thing here is Falcon and Winter Soldier. Now, yes, there. So, what's going on here is that Disney put out this like one, one and a half minute little, you know, buzz trailer about all the things you can still look forward to coming in, in 2020 
on Disney Plus, and they still listed WandaVision. Now, the question about does WandaVision then come before Black Widow? Does that kick off phase four? I mean, I don't really know. To me, the whole phase thing is just a made-up arbitrary thing anyway, so it's, it's not really all that important. And I don't get me wrong. I am personally very much looking forward to WandaVision. I really am. I can't wait to watch WandaVision. But to me, the story of this Disney uh, this Disney teaser, this Disney sizzle reel, if you will, for 2020 isn't Wanda. It's Falcon and Winter Soldier. Because this thing was showing off who and what is coming in 2020. And you know what's supposed to be coming in 2020? Even though it's been delayed from August, it's supposed to be coming out later in 2020. Falcon and Winter Soldier is supposed to be coming out. And it was not a part of that sizzle reel. Now, that in and of itself does not obviously automatically mean we'll take it to the bank then Falcon and Winter Soldier is not coming out in 2020. I mean, take that to the I'm not saying that at all. But it is very conspicuous by its absence in that 2020 sizzle reel that it isn't even there. Now, we talked the other day about how they've resumed shooting on Falcon and Winter Soldier. George St. Pierre, the greatest MMA fighter of all time, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, back as Batroc the Leaper on set there. Great, they're up and running again. But again, I, I yeah, it was great seeing Wanda on there, but we didn't see Falcon and Winter Soldier. And that, to me, was the story. Aaron, let me ask you this. I mean, we as movie fans are so bad at taking little pieces of information and then way overreacting to it, like thinking it has these far stretching things. And I'm, that might exactly be what I'm doing right now. But I look at that little sizzle and I see the absence of Falcon Winter Soldier and it worries me that we're not going to get it this year. Do you think it points towards that or do you think, nah, they just wanted to highlight other things? Like, what did you think about that? I'm calling it now until we have Black Widow, we will not have Falcon and Winter Soldier. And here's why. Here's why. I went back and I watched the Disney Plus trailer that was released in January right, of I 2020. That. And it was Falcon and Winter Soldier. I mean, they they pushed it hard. They you know, covered a lot of ground, but they really pushed Falcon and Winter Soldier. And they kind of peppered a little WandaVision in there. But it was mostly Falcon and Winter Soldier. They made very clear. In fact, I the, the image that they used was of uh, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan. Like, these are the actors. They're in their wardrobe. We've got this ready to go. And the image that they used for WandaVision was an artist rendering. It didn't even At have... Time, right. Yeah, it was an artist rendering. It, it, it didn't even have... Um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. The actress. Elizabeth Olsen? I didn't even have Elizabeth Olsen. So it was clear that they were excited about pushing out Falcon and Winter Soldier with the uh, with the understanding that at the time Black Widow was going to come out in whatever it was, May or whenever it was supposed to come out. And then it was pushed to November 6th. But the timeline was going to be Bl uh, Black Widow November 6th, followed immediately by Falcon and Winter Soldier, followed immediately by WandaVision. That was supposed to be the 2020 timeline. When Black Widow got pushed, and because they're all integrated, I guarantee you there is information that has already been shot for Falcon and Winter Soldier that ties in with Black Widow. But because WandaVision is part of the multiverse of madness and separate from the world of Falcon. I mean, Falcon and Winter Soldier and Black Widow are part of the same 
world within the multiverse. So I have a feeling that what is in the sh- what is in WandaVision for this season, what they've already shot, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what we find out in Black yeah, Widow. Yeah, a lot of people speculated that the WandaVision is going to kind of like a lot of people have been speculating it's going to kind of take place in this alternate reality that Wanda has kind of created in her mind and stuff like that. So yeah. therefore, you might be able to isolate it from the linear storytelling of like say Falcon and Winter Soldier. hundred percent. I mean, if you watch any of the trailers for WandaVision, because I saw that the the one brief second that they show of Elizabeth Olsen, and I was like, what the fuck is she wearing? And then I realized as I saw more of a trailer, I was like, oh, that's not what she wears normally. That's like part of some, (laughs) you know, she's got a lot of different looks in the show. Yes, thank God that costume is not the primary one. But yeah, I, I I truly believe that Falcon and Winter Soldier, we find there's information that we find out in Black Widow that absolutely uh informs um the the television show. So, so you're standing on that you you think there is no way we're gonna get Falcon and Winter Soldier until after Black Widow has played in theaters. Mark my words. All right, I could so, be wrong, but I doubt it. So the question for you guys is I mean, does the absence of Falcon and Winter Soldier from that sizzle reel, does that set off warning bells? Or do you think, ah, nah, 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 they just, they just wanted to focus more on Wanda. Maybe that's the case, or maybe it's more than that. Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down and out of the way, let's now move on to our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Stephen Smith. And Stephen Smith writes, Did you see Olivia Wilde's interview where she seemingly confirmed Kevin Feige's involvement in that secret Marvel film she's doing at Sony? Could they be really working together on a Spider-Woman film? Maybe something else Spider-Man related? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And for those of you who don't know what Steven is talking about here. So Olivia Wilde, of course, we talked about it on the show the other week. It came out that she's going to be directing a Spider-Verse movie for Sony. And when she tweeted out about it, she put a little spider icon on it. So the big speculation and the kind of active presumptive thing about what the movie is going to be is, is Spider-Woman. That's what everybody's kind of guessing is going to be at this point. Spider-Woman should, it's important to note though, that nobody's come out and officially said it's Spider-Woman, but that's what everybody kind of thinks it's going to be. Well, she was just doing an interview, I believe with Entertainment Weekly. And she was asked about the project and all this kind of stuff. And she kind of maybe dropped something. Here's what she said. All I can say, and this is again is Olivia Wilde, one of the most unfair individuals in the galaxy. I'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) All I can say is that this is by far the most exciting thing that's happened to me because not only do I get to tell a story that, listen to me, trying to avoid Kevin Feige's pellet gun. (laughs) We are seeing this incredible influx of female directors and storytellers getting to take hold of this genre, this superhero space, and infuse it with their own perspective. Not only do I get to tell the story as a director, but I get to develop the story. And that's what made this so incredible for me. Yeah, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. She said Kevin Feige. That's, that's what everybody took away from this. Uh, okay, it's a director saying, oh, I'm so excited to make this movie. Yeah, director speak, director speak, director speak, director speak, Kevin Feige. That's the thing that got everybody's attention when she said, listen to me, I'm trying to avoid Kevin Feige's pellet gun. Why is that so fascinating? So, some people who may not be like really aware of this type of stuff might be wondering, understandably so. Okay, so why is that so special? Why is this so fascinating that she mentions Kevin Feige? Well, listen. 
here you got to understand the scenario we're in. The scenario we're in is this. Sony controls everything Spider-Man related. They have the rights to Spider-Man. They have made a deal with Marvel where Marvel gets to use the Spider-Man character and put him in their MCU movies. But at the end of the day, of course, Sony is the license holder. They, they are in control. So while they allow Marvel to have Spider-Man in their universe, they have been kind of developing and making their own movies. They already they did Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which was to me should have been nominated for Best Picture. It won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. It should have been nominated for Best Picture. It was the best comic book movie of that year, but I digress. Um, they did Venom, which I am unapologetic in how much fun I had with Venom. That movie was way better than I thought it would be. Made almost $900 million at the box office when everybody swore up and down, it'll be a disaster without Spider-Man. You can't do Venom without Spider-Man. Oh, well, apparently you can. And it worked out great. Super excited for it. I didn't think it would make $800 million. I knew it would be successful, but I didn't think it would make it $800 million. Made well over $800 million. So they're on a pretty good roll. The trailer for Morbius. Now, this is where things start to get interesting. Because up until that point, in Venom, other than if you really wanted to read into things too much, there was no indication that like Venom had anything to do with the MCU, right? Like nothing. It's a totally separate thing. Venom's there. No mention of Spider-Man. Maybe if you wanted to read into some little Easter eggs, but that stuff is just usually just tips of the cap. It's not, it doesn't really mean anything. Then comes the Morbius trailer. And if you guys remember this, the Morbius trailer comes along. And two significant things happen. One, we see Jared Leto rocking down that alley and there's that mural of Spider-Man on the wall. Okay, maybe that means something, maybe it doesn't because yeah, maybe that could just be, again, it could be just a little Easter egg. It could just be a fun thing they kind of painted on a wall, not important. Maybe, I could see why you would think that. But then at the end of the trailer, Michael Keaton shows up wearing the same outfit he was wearing at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming saying, hey, you're hey, Doc, you got tired of playing the good guy thing? Clearly the same character that he was in Spider-Man Homecoming. And all of a sudden, everybody was like, hold the fuck on. Are, are, are they crossing this stuff over? Is that what we've come to now? Is Sony kind of merging this all? In? And is Marvel and Sony really take, after having a big major fallout, have they reconciled so intimately that now they're going to cross this shit over? So that's the context. That's the background you got to understand to Olivia Wilde coming out and saying, okay, I got to watch for Kevin Feige. He said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait Kevin, is, is Kevin going to be involved with this? Because if Kevin's going to be hands-on, I mean, Kevin Feige has had his name attached as a producer on some things, but that's really just a name only. It, it doesn't mean anything. But is he actively involved in this? And if so, is this, and this is us as movie fans maybe reading too much into situations again, I confess. But it does beg the question, is this yet another sign compounding on the Morbius stuff? compounding on Feige's comments that he made a while ago. It's like, hey, Peter's like the guy who can kind of jump between universes. Is this yet another piece of evidence that we are heading towards Sony's Spider-Verse and the MCU fully and indeed merging and crossing over? I, I mean, I obviously, I don't know. There's, we've been talking a lot on the show how there is a fundamental difference between what you believe and what you know to be true.
right? There's a difference between things you believe and things you know to be true. I'm starting to believe they are completely merging this thing over. I don't know that to be true, but it's starting to feel like that to me. Aaron, you know, again, I mentioned Olivia Wilde, one of the most supreme examples of unfairness in the galaxy. <laughs> There's just no way a any individual, a male or female, should be this talented, this attractive, and this, ab this ability to do everything that she seems to be able to do all wrapped into one package. It's just not fair. Whereas I have a hard time making toast. So it's just not fair. But <laughs> we've been all excited about her, especially after watching Booksmart. Like her Booksmart mm -hmm. movie was one of my favorite things, yeah. the, favorite movies of the year. Her coming in and making a comic book movie, super exciting whenever a, directed, a talented director does. But is this another layer of interest or was she just kind of trolling people here? I, I don't know. How do you read this whole situation? Um, you know, it didn't, the, the quote to me didn't come off that she was in any way trolling. She doesn't really seem to have a trolling vibe. Uh, she does like to drop little hints, but I don't think that she wants to play with people and uh, give misleading hints. So the fact that she mentioned, you know, this whole thing between Sony and the MCU, it's kind of like Carrie and Big, Ross and Rachel. Just, just <laughs> get married and 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 let's just move on with it. Okay, stop this. We're broken up. We're in, we're on a break. Whatever. Just, just do the merger that we all know is happening. Get back in bed together. We know you guys all want to work together. Uh, you know, you'll be fine, and we will all have more exciting crossovers because of it. And you guys will make a lot of money. So that being said, one of the things that I picked up from her quote that I really liked is when she was talking about, you know, this is not just me being able to direct a movie. This is not just me being able to direct a superhero movie, which is really cool. This is about me being able to actually develop it and right. have my hand on it. It's the difference between, you know, like John Favreau developing Iron Man and Shane Black coming in and directing the third Iron Man. You right. know, like that is, and this is no disrespect to Shane Black at all, but when you come in for the third installment of a series or a franchise that's already been developed, it's almost like a television director who comes in and you know the, the director of the pilot is the one who gets to decide the tone, the look, the shape, even you know the coloring, the filters that are used. The director of the pilot episode of any television show is the one who gets the credit for doing everything. And every director following that director of the pilot has to essentially color within the same color within the box um, and work within that framework. Similarly, for a Shane Black, I'm using this as the, the Iron Man as the example. I love you, Shane Black, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is again, this is no disrespect to him. I he, fantastic, but he came in and Iron Man was established. He wasn't reinventing the wheel there. Right. And so, what Olivia Wilde is pointing out is, this is me not not directing another Spider Man movie where a lot of the uh, you know the the lines have already been drawn. The character has already been created and established. This is me getting to come into a new franchise in a world that's been created, but a new franchise and say, this is how we're gonna take this direction. This is how we're gonna take that direction. And she proved by Booksmart, which you've obviously already referenced and is again, also one of my favorites, that she's not only a very capable director, but a very smart director and a very creative director. Mm. And really one of the ones that, has a lot of buzz right now. You know, people are very excited about the choices that she makes as a director and for her to be able to put her stamp on it 
and almost establish herself as a, a, a John Favreau type of director um, in which she can come in and not only you know, direct a film, but also create an entire world. Uh, I'm really excited about this. I'm excited for her. And I think that, uh, that, that her creativity and her smarts as a director are really going to make whatever this is, whether it's Spider-Woman or whatever, uh, I think it's going to be very, very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And who knows what the possibility sold? Question is for you guys. What do you think about these comments? Do you think what she's saying is kind of piggybacking on what we saw in Morbius? Do you think this is more confirmation that they're going to cross things over? Maybe this is just us as we as film fans are apt to do, just reading way too much into it. What are your thoughts right now? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions. Once again, if you want to get a live comment or question on the show, simply use the tip link in the top of the description of this video or just enter it manually, streamoms.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. So let's jump on over. We got a couple from yesterday left over that we're going to start off with. And we're going to start off with Upset Cutie who writes, there needs to be a voice of uh, there needs to be a reasonable voice in the chaos. Would you watch and then do a short review of cuties? No, I have no desire to watch cuties. I, most movies that come out. But here's the thing. You guys know I don't watch nine out of ten movies that come out on Netflix. I, I just don't. I make the odd exception. I watched Extraction with Chris, Chris, Chris Hemsworth because I love Chris Hemsworth and the Russo brothers were involved. I thought the movie was bad, but I tried it out. I watched Old Guard because it looked pretty fun. It's got Charlize in it, and I really liked it, and I loved it. I watched uh, The Irishman, but for every one of those that I watch, there's about 9, 10, or 100 that I, I don't watch. A lot of them are these European-looking type art house films, and no disrespect to anybody who really loves and appreciates the European art house style of film. But a lot of them, especially ones that go straight to Netflix, are not for me. So I never had any intention, like 90% of Netflix movies, I had no intention of watching Cuties. It just didn't look like it was for me. You didn't like Roma either. I didn't, And I didn't like Roma, which, which put me, all my friends loved Roma. My, all my friends loved Roma, but I didn't. But at any rate. Um, now, I watched it because it was going to be an Oscar contender, so I had to watch it. But, but if it weren't going to be an Oscar contender... Oh, then, I, then I never would have bothered. Yeah, it's just not your bag. You know yeah. what you're interested in, and that's not it. Yeah, so Cuties was one of those. Now, of course, there's this whole there's this whole controversy about cuties and everything. And the thing is, I have no dog in this fight because I've not seen the movie. I know this. I know that the the uh, the woman who directed it calls it a semi autobiographical thing about her experiences as a young girl, and she wanted to make the movie as a cautionary tale about the message that media sends to young girls that the more sexualized you are the more successful you'll be. And she says it's a cautionary tale about that. And she wanted to make a movie about her experiences as a young girl. I, I see a lot of people, then a lot of criticism, whatever. The bottom line for me has always been this. Uh, I don't know, because I haven't seen it. I have no idea. A bunch of people saying that the movie is a certain thing, but I have found that 95% of those people didn't actually watch the movie. <laughs> That's the thing. And I pay no attention to anybody's outrage who does hasn't actually experienced what it is they're talking about. Like, how do you know that the movie is this, this, and this if you didn't watch it? Because I saw a headline that says it is. Well, okay, good for you if that's how you want to live your life. But if you didn't watch it, I'm not going to listen to your opinion about it. Just like you shouldn't listen to a movie review about any movie from somebody that hasn't watched the movie. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But again, I don't know. 
if cuties is the worst, horrible, filthiest of the filthy, vulgar of the vulgar, like just horrible things ever made. And I don't know if it's a really intelligent, mature, artistic look by a filmmaker who's representing their own experiences as a younger kid. I don't know which one is true. I simply don't know. It's the but second I, one. Well, well, but I do know this. I do know this. I had no intention of watching the movie when it came out. And I'm not going to be pressured by other people's uh, obsession about a movie they've never seen. I'm not going to allow that to pressure me to watch a movie I didn't plan on watching. Now, look, I will say this. If it comes to the point that it looks like Cuties is going to get major Oscar nominations, I will then sit down and watch it like I did Roma. Mm -hmm. I will sit down and watch it like I did Roma because, well, it's going to be an Oscar film, so I need to see it to know what I'm talking about. But other than that, I just don't need to see it, so I don't want to see it. I have no intention of seeing it. I didn't before the controversy, and I'm not going to make the controversy dictate what I choose to watch and not watch. So, Well, the irony is that the controversy really came about because of the way that the film was marketed. Which was not the film marketing. at all. Right. And I mean, well, that marketing I, was, that poster well, Netflix put out Especially when you look at idiotic. the original, the, the, the foreign poster, yeah, the, the, the original poster. the foreign poster is so different. It's like just these girls on a bridge. And because blah, blah, the foreign blah. poster actually is what the movie is about. And I, I have a friend who actually works in the marketing department on the Netflix features side. And I said, did you do that? And he goes, oh my God. He goes, it was, I was not in, the, it was like a separate department uh, that handles like their foreign films. He said, I was not on that team. He goes, but I remember the day that that, he goes, I didn't even see it before it was everywhere. He goes, that was the dumbest thing. He goes, because that's not even the movie. That's, he, they created a poster that is literally the the thing that the movie is saying this is not good is the way that the movie poster was created and so the controversy is not about the movie the controversy is about the depict is about the the poster the way marketing the way that the marketing department depicted it and so um you know it, it's just it's so ridiculous at the same time you know hey a lot more people are talking about cuties than they would have been before you know so i don't know it's just but but yeah anybody that's complaining about it and talking about it that hasn't seen it can just well STFU. i mean and, and netflix has nobody to blame but themselves oh for sure I mean, well and the they should fire that entire and, yeah, team of cuties because it's like okay yeah i could see like so i've always understood the outrage over the ad campaign because i looked at that poster and i i hadn't again i've never seen the movie but i looked at that poster and i went well, that's idiotic. Yeah. That's totally stupid. Just a bad, bad. That's like, it was like a, a something that would be advertising toddlers and tiaras. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? And, yep. I totally agree. Anyway. All right. Let's move on here. Next up. Um, what do we got here? We got Robert uh, Beveridge who writes, Hey, John, speaking of shows to watch, have you seen Cobra Kai on Netflix? Trailer looked terrible, but watched the first episode and was instantly hooked season three. Yeah, uh, unpopular opinion. I don't like Cobra Kai. And I was amongst the most excited to watch it. Like when it was coming out, when they were building up to it coming, I was so excited about it. I thought it was, I still think it was a great idea to do it as a show. I think the concept is great. My wife continues to watch it and loves this show and loves Cobra Kai. Um, <laughs> a lot of people I know really, really like it. And that's great. I wanted to like it, but I watched, I thought this is just 
it's no, it wasn't for me. That's all. It, <laughs> it, it, let's just say it was not for me. And it continues to be on my televisions because Anne's watching it while we're making dinner or whatever. And yeah, it's still not for me. I can see why it appeals to a lot of people. I can. This is one of those situations where I can't imagine you have to be stupid to watch this. No, 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 no. But it's it's clearly just not for me. So I'm not a fan of it to me. To be honest with you, man, I'm not a fan of it. All right. Gary writes. Hey, John, you mentioned loving Ted Lasso. Yes, I do. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, the lead actor in the show, is a viewer of yours. I caught on to his show when he sent in a tip a while back telling you how he got a part and wanted you to check it out. Kind of cool. I don't remember that, but I'm going to go out on a limb here, Gary. I'm going to go out on a limb. If somebody at some point wrote in on a tip calling themselves Jason Sudeikis. <laughs> it probably was not Jason Sudeikis. And encouraging me to go and watch the show Ted Lasso. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that it was not actually Jason Sudeikis. Uh, but I do love Jason Sudeikis. Again, how the universe is twisted and that he ended up with Olivia Wilde, I have no idea. But I've been a big fan of Jason Sudeikis for a long, long time. I still... If you, Aaron, I don't know if you ever saw the original skit, but whenever they put, I see an old clip of the Saturday Night Live, What Up With That what That's what I was thinking. And he's doing the running man in his tracksuit. Oh my God, I love it. I love it. I have no idea how they came up with that, but I'm just imagining the room, the writer's room, and then him just being like, hey, what happens if I'm just in an old school Adidas tracksuit and I'm just doing the running man the whole time? I just out of nowhere, run out onto screen up with and that? start doing the run. I, it doesn't matter how many times <laughs> I've seen it. When that clip pops up, whether it's on a Every YouTube stream, time. I will almost fall out of my chair laughing. Every time. Hysterically. And, that is and, what I was like in my head of all the amazing Jason Sudeikis sketches. That is the one that was in my head. I was, yes, 100%. Uh, and, and I don't, I, I, I bring up, I try to plug this movie whenever I get a chance, whenever Jason Sudeikis comes up. He did this little comedy with Lake Bell, who's another performer I just adore. Fantastic not, on not the Harley Quinn animated series as Poison love Ivy. Love her. You know love what? her. I didn't know until I was halfway through the show. I thought it was, who's the girl who played Ann Perkins on The Office? Um, uh, uh, Quincy Jones's daughter. Oh, Rashida Jones. I, I oh, thought yeah. for sure that Poison Ivy was Rashida Jones. I never saw that listening anywhere. I just heard the voice. Oh, that's Rashida Jones. It wasn't until halfway through the season of Harley Quinn that I found out it was Lake Bell. And I, I, I always think that it's um, I, um, Aisha Tyler. Because yep. she's on Archer. Yes, she is. And she she's has that so same good. sort of like droll kind of like deliver. Like she's really good with the dry wit. Yeah. Oh, I and by her. the way, so JB Smoove, who yes. plays the plant, um, yep. Poison Ivy's plant, I just started watching Woke on Hulu. And he also. I was just looking at a preview of that last night. He's got the same guy from New Girl. It's like. A, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. And, um, oh, that's where, New Girl, of course. I, I thought he was from SNL. He's from New Girl. It's yes. New Girl. Um, so, J.B. Smoove also voices the uh, the permanent marker So in, in that. So, I'm I'm being inundated with voiceovers from J.B. Smoove, and I could not be more happy about it. But back to Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, it wasn't Was Jason Sudeikis. But anyway, I always try to plug, everybody knows this, I try to plug a little comedy him and Lake Bell did about seven or eight years ago that nobody saw. It's called, because of the title, stopped a lot of theaters from running it. It's still played in some theaters, called A Good Old Fashioned Orgy. Oh, right. It is 
hilarious. It's got a, like half of the cast from the league is also in it with them. One of the best shows ever. I love the league. And like half the cast from the league is in this movie as well. So if you get a chance, go and watch it. But yes, Jason. And by Zanaga. the way, any guy who plays fantasy football, if your partner, if your significant other does not understand your fantasy football uh, fascination or doesn't like it have them watch the league because I did not understand fantasy I thought it was the dumbest thing ever and then I watched the league and I was like oh I get it now and so now when Tom's like oh I have fantasy stuff I'm like have a ball Go enjoy yourself yes Anna's leading in all three fantasy leagues she plays in right now through different she still has her fantasy football league from Hasbro she's in three she's fantasy in, leagues yeah, she's in like and she has a job how does yeah. she I, That's I, a I, lot of work. I have no idea how that is wife. a lot of work. I have no idea how Anne does half the stuff she does. Okay, let's keep moving on here. Still got a lot to go through. Um, so yeah, Gary, I doubt that was actually Jason Sudeikis. If it is Jason Sudeikis and you'd like to correct that, Jason, by all means, let me know. Uh, James Argento writes, in the recent Disney Plus coming soon video, the feature titles coming, including Hidden Figures, the Man I love Hidden Figures, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. uh, The Mandalorian, and surprisingly, WandaVision. Uh, do you think this could mean WandaVision can meet its pre-COVID release date of 12-20, Mando for eight weeks, uh, then WandaVision next date? Yeah, as we were already talking about a little bit earlier, it seems like that show is made more insulated from the overall timeline that they can't can draw it whenever they need to or at least relatively whenever they can so yes it, it does start to look like wandavision is again to me the story is falcon winter soldier and doesn't mean that it's not coming in 2020 like they've said for a long time all right seth tip tipton writes hey john and rob rob's not here today i know this old this is old news but the disillusion of the 20th century fox brand was a bummer it's not it's still you still get the 20th century thing uh, popping up. It's just not 20th Century Fox. Anyway, uh, was a bummer. I was hoping Star Wars movie franchise might go back to the original studio with the classic fanfare of 20th Century and then the opening crawl. Great combo. I've never cared. I'll be honest with this. As the biggest fan of particularly the original Star Wars stuff, I've never cared. Like, I've not wanted for the sake of a seven second for the sake of that seven seconds I want them to change movie studios and blah, blah, so we can get a drum roll. I've never cared about that. Don't get me wrong. I have great, delightful memories of seeing the 20th Century Fox logo coming up and hearing that fanfare and then the opening crawl, but change studios and blah, 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 and all that just for that? Nah, I've never cared. Never cared. All right. Franklin Donahue writes, who sends in $20. Thank you, Franklin, for supporting the channel on that level, dude. Hey, John, I've been hearing that DC were readying a larger Justice League lineup to either appear or be hinted at in the Flash movie. Uh, now more than not, the Justice League has been a majority, has been majority male, but what DC heroine do you think could make the cut? Well, yeah, I don't know if I'd listen to any of those rumors about that, but what DC heroines could make the cut? You know, after they kind of, DC kicked the ball off with Wonder Woman, which was the first female-led major comic book movie in this new era of comic book movies, because they did it uh, before Captain Marvel came out. We haven't really had any others uh, up there. Look, there's several. High, uh, there's Power Girl, um, who who is like a, who was a Supergirl of a different Earth, but it's just, it's just better story. As a matter of fact, uh, Artemis. Artemis is one. I don't know if you've ever heard of Artemis, uh, but Artemis is one that I love. I became familiar with Artemis. Back in the early 90s, I think it was, Aaron, there basically there was a Wonder Woman run going on. And I guess apparently in the story, Wonder Woman had to defend, Diana had to defend the title of Wonder Woman every so many number of years. And so she had to go back to Themyscira and participate in these games. And she actually lost. 
to this other Amazonian named Artemis. Well, Artemis and, is the name of the, I believe it's Greek, uh, yes. yeah, Greek goddess of uh, war and mountains. Yes, I didn't, I didn't know mountains. Mountains. So mm -hmm. Artemis wins. And so for a while in the Wonder Woman comics, the Wonder Woman comics was not Diana, it was Artemis. Oh. And then Diana got her own spin-off comic series. And instead of wearing like the traditional Wonder Woman outfit, her look was like blue jeans and this black leather biker jacket uh, that she would wear. It was a really deck. Wow. She had more short bobbed kind of black hair. And uh -huh. it was actually a really good design. Yeah. yeah I, if I remember probably. But I love Artemis. You got a lot of female characters, whether it's Huntress or whatever in the Bat family, if you wanted to go into the Bat family. One of the most popular DC characters it, that especially when it comes to cosplay time is Zatanna. That's one that's been popular with a lot of people. Who is that? Uh, you'll, you've seen a lot of people dress up as her. She dresses like a magician. Okay. She's got like the really tight like leggings and like the, the thing and she wears the hat and the whole bit. So is it like a Chris Angel type of magician? No, 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 no. Like the, like a, like the classical, what you think a magician would be dressed like only in what a female costume of that would look like. So okay. Zatanna is incredibly popular with a lot of people. So there's a lot of different directions that they could go. But I mean, there, there's nobody else on the level of like, say, a Wonder Woman who is like one of the Trinity. She is mm -hmm. one of the true Trinity. It's her Wonder Woman, Batman and Superman. That's a Trinity. There's no other female characters that kind of on that level. But if they want to, and by the way, I know it'll rub some people the wrong way, but if they really want to, Mara, I mean, they could be bringing Mara more into it because of the popularity of Aquaman. So... But that's the great thing about this whole world that we're exploring cinematically is that you can take characters or the studios can take characters that are not necessarily as well known in popular culture yes. and make them more relevant. I mean, look at what happened with Blade. Blade was a very, you know, under uh under not under not a prime time character right exactly and uh you know and that's one of the wonderful things about this about this world is that people who may not necessarily have been able to connect with a certain comic book character because they're like well i don't necessarily connect with wonder woman batman or superman if there's another character that they didn't even realize was in that world they can go oh wow i i really like this character you know just it it, it gives more of something for everyone. Yeah, I mean, look, there was a time when it was, the thought was, the only way you can do a comic book movie is if it's a huge popular character. Guardians of the Galaxy kind of proved that that's not true. Suicide Squad came out, and while you may have your thoughts about Suicide Squad, the fact of the matter is, it made a lot of money, which kind of proved that you can take some lesser known properties mm -hmm. if you do them right, and Maybe there's some lesser known, like as far as the wider pop culture goes, maybe you could take some lesser known female characters from DC and elevate them to a Justice League level. It's going to be interesting. I like to see. that Artemis idea. I love art. I, love I named Artemis. my chemo part port Artemis. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I had this like, if anybody's ever been in chemo, you know what a port is. And it's like this little alien life form that lives inside of you for two years or whatever. And so, yeah, my port was named Artemis. I wanted to keep it, but they... <laughs> But I do. I love the idea of Artemis. I really do. I, I've been a big fan of that character ever since that that little limited run they did. Anyway, um, Min Tran writes. My friends and I have been running have a running joke, and Jason Momoa looks that Jason Momoa looks like Roman Reigns. He does kind of look a little similar to Roman Reigns. So when we went to see Aquaman, and Ar Ar Arthur did that uh, N 
Zurigri kick, whatever you pronounce that, on Black Manta, I mark out like I was at a wrestling show because I thought they threw a super because I thought he threw a Superman punch, which is something that Roman Reigns does. It's it's one of the weirdest moves in wrestling, but it is something Roman Reigns does. I mean, also writes John, at what movie or movies did you mark out the hardest for? I've never heard the term mark out the hardest for. Um I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of great moments in movies when I lose my shit. I mean, listen, there was you go back to even something like um, the Transformers, the first live action Transformers movies that Michael Bay did. All the other ones were total and absolute shit. But that first one, I remember because I had waited so many years for a live action Transformers movie. I'm not saying this is the biggest one, but this is just an example of a moment like this. The first time Optimus Prime you see him for the first time on screen as he comes rolling through that alley through the mist at in night with the certain lighting going on and then he comes to a stop as a truck and then the camera starts to spin around him as he starts to transform and then the camera stops spinning pulls back and you see that shot of optimus prime first time i'm getting goosebumps and the hair on my arm is standing up like crazy um i i just about pissed myself i mean it was so awesome to me, something I had waited all my life to see in live action and see it done that way. So I'm not saying that's the biggest moment of those, but that's one that comes to mind. Do you have a particular moment, Aaron, that like was like you just almost felt like jumping up and screaming and cheering in the movie theater? Do you have any in Transformers? Like that? No, in any movie. In oh, any movie yeah, in Transformers. <laughs> what was your biggest hype movie moment in Transformers? Well, I, you know what? I, actually, the moment that, as you were describing uh, that scene in Transformers, which I agree was a very, uh, very emotional moment. Um, I'm brought back to a moment that you and I actually experienced together when we saw the most recent Lion King. And little Simba is lifted up in the air and oh, both yeah. of us just started crying. <laughs> like that was a really beautiful moment. Like, oh my gosh. And part of it is the nostalgia. You know, you've told the story many times that your room was wallpapered with Transformers, yep. you know, and um, any of us who grew up with the soundtrack of Lion King and seeing the musical on Broadway of Lion King and seeing the animated, you know, movie before uh, that moment um, with the song and you know bursting forward uh that was a really powerful moment for me and that was what was coming up as you were describing transformers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think that's a great moment all right uh next up we have uh sorry the the thing took a jump give me a second as i get back to where we should be uh this is uh, rocking uh, okay men um there it is okay next up michael writes with the guy from Lovecraft Country being cast as Kang the Conqueror, does this mean that Marvel will cast a person of color as Reed Richards due to the fact that Kang is a direct dependent, you probably meant descendant of Reed? Somebody asked a very similar question to that the other day. It means nothing. It means nothing. You, you got to always remember the comics are the comics, the movies are the movies. And just because something is set up a certain way in the comic, it has no relevance on what they're going to do in the movie. We bring this up all the time. Civil War, the movie, ain't nothing like Civil War, the comic book run. The Ultron story was nothing like the Ultron story. I mean, there are there are thematic similarities, sure. X-Men Age, or not X-Men Age of Apocalypse, um, X-Men Days of Future Past. Nothing like the X-Men Days of Future Past story. Some thematic similarities, yes. So, hey, you know, well, in the comics, this was connected to that. That means in the movies, no, it doesn't. I mean, they could. It means it's a possibility, 
But I wouldn't ever, whenever a comic book movie is coming up, never assume, never make any assumption that because something happens a certain way in a comic book, they're going to translate that over to the movies. They're going to make the movie. And the movie's going to be what the movie is. And it'll be, maybe it'll share some similarities with the comics, but it very well may not. It may depart in many, many ways. So that's my thought on that. All right. Min Tran also writes, Bravo to Room to Go's marketing team. Every time I watch the staircase scene in Joker and the Gary Glitter song plays, I, I still hear buy room, get a TV in my head. I have no idea what this is talking about. I know the scene in Joker. Have you ever internally heard a commercial when you watch some when you watch some a movie scene? I have no idea what that's about. I don't even know what go to room. Ro no, rooms to go, to go is <laughs> What are we? What am I missing? Rooms here? to go is one of those companies where, like, if you're moving, in, you can rent entire bedroom furniture. So, like, let's say that you were, we deal with this a lot when you know you get you go to do a TV show and you have to be relocated for like six months or whatever. A lot of times, the way that they work it out in contracts is they don't necessarily put you up somewhere, so you have to get your own apartment. So you get an unfurnished apartment and then you just rent an entire like living room suite or you rent, you know, you go, okay, for $500 a month, they'll bring you a bedroom set that's got a bed and side tables and a television and all of your, you never heard of this where you just like rent an nope. entire room? Yeah, no, rooms to go. Yeah, they don't have that in Canada. We don't have rooms to go. I'm sure you have something like it in Canada. Maybe, but I, I'm not familiar. But I don't know how this connects to the Joker. So movie. I'm sure the that they probably, the there's a song that was in a rooms, a rooms to, go to go commercial. commercial. Oh, I guess that so was not in really the movie. The Joker connection is the song connection. Probably. Got, okay, so okay. you probably would have had to see that particular Rooms to Go commercial, which may have been a regional commercial that because I, I I know what Rooms to Go is, but I don't know what commercial. Got it. That makes more sense. That makes much more sense. That's, That's a regional thing. I'm I glad you're here for that. All right. Next up, an anonymous <laughs> viewer tips $20. Thank you, anonymous viewer, for that. Uh, hey, John and friends, I hope you are keeping safe. With Snyder Cut coming next year, if a deal is not is not by if a deal is not by the time the Snyder Cut comes out. Will HBO regret not making a deal with the two largest streaming giants? Yes, but I have no doubt. I have no doubt that this situation, because look, for those of you who don't know, HBO Max is out and HBO Max is going to be great. I've, I've never had any doubt that HBO Max is going to be great. But they did launch without the two biggest streaming platforms in the world, which are Roku and Amazon Fire. They will get that straightened out. I mean, just because it, it is incumbent upon them, they need to have that deal made. And Roku and Amazon need to have that deal made as well. So they will get this worked out. I, I, I'm expecting sooner rather than later. Like, I don't even expect us eight weeks from now to still be talking about this. I mean, I don't, I don't know that as a fact. I'm just saying, I, I believe that probably within the next number of weeks, this is going to be settled. I don't think that's good. I absolutely do not think that's going to be an issue by the time Snyder Cut comes out, you know, a year from now or 10 months from now or whatever. I absolutely don't think that's going to be an issue at that time. At least I hope not. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, um, do you think without having H Oh, this is clearly the same person. Do you think that without having HBO max on the two biggest streaming platforms, when the Snyder cup comes out, would you consider the launch of HBO max to be a failure where I already think they botched the launch. Yeah. HBO max is great, but I do think they botched the launch. Uh, you can't come out with a streaming service, not be on the two biggest platforms in the world for streaming services, and then call it anything other than a botch. 
It's absolutely they botched it. There's I have zero. Yeah, I, it's, it's already considered a botch, but it's a botch that is correctable. Mm. It is a botch that is not going to define them, Aaron. Mm -hmm. It is a botch that is a temporary mistake that they will course correct on and everything will be fine. It is not a defining career ending mistake. Right. So I don't know, like you, you guys don't even use, I think you guys use Apple TV at home. Do you Apple not? Apple TV. You mm -hmm. guys have, so this, this isn't even an issue for you. So if you want HBO Max, you can just have it like that. We've been watching. Yeah. So you've got it already. Yeah. We'll see. There you go. So what are we whatever. watching on HBO Max? We're watching something like regularly. Um, Wait, Charlie. well, the morning shows on. Well, no, no, HBO Max. I'm thinking yeah, you're Apple thinking TV. Apple TV. I'm thinking Apple TV Plus. Yeah. Well, HBO Max right now. I mean, between Lovecraft Country, the things I'm watching on HBO Max right now are Lovecraft Country and uh, Raised by Wolves. That's the stuff I'm watching on there right now. Is Harley Quinn animated series on that? Yes, that's right. They did. They. Moved that's that why over we're that. watching. That's yeah, right. we've been. We've been. Our TV has been set on HBO Max because of Harley Quinn animated. Have you guys gotten through season one yet? Are you in? Season oh one? yeah, we're on season oh, two. And oh, my nice. favorite is the two. Guys, speaking of the um, the Snyder cut, is my I won't spoil anything. But oh, the, the two, two guys mocking the fans. Yeah, at the beginning. <laughs> oh, um, this is such a you know yeah, yeah oh, that, the, the that whole was, thing. And he's wearing the release to, the Snyder cut uh, t shirt. Have you gotten to the Bachelorette weekend yet? No. Okay. Never mind. Uh, never mind. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. More binging there's to a, come. There's an episode coming that's based on a Bachelorette weekend. Oh, well, say no more. One I'm of thrilled. my favorite episodes ever. You're going to love it. You know, funnily enough, just to add this in there, somebody from the chat goes, I'm sitting in a rooms to go chair right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I never even heard of it. Hey, they should be it. a sponsor of this show. If anybody out be. there. Everybody should be a sponsor of this show. Agreed. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Rocky writes. Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Rocky. The oddest TV episode I've ever seen is the Gotta Light episode number eight of Twin Peaks, The Return. Seriously, bonkers television. I've never watched Twin Peaks, uh, so I can't really comment on that, which is weird because like all my friends obsess over Twin Peaks. Like most people I know like obsess over Twin Peaks. I've never seen it myself. But yeah, the two most bonkers I've ever personally seen are the I Flex the Wrong Muscle from Doom Patrol and the most recent episode of Lovecraft Country. It just starts off with a, what the hell is happening kind of thing. And it ends with a, what the hell is happening? It's it's crazy. It's absolute craziness. All right, Double Crit writes, hello, John and crew. The Dragon's Dogma Netflix show drops on 917. I've never even heard of it. Mm -hmm. uh, just curious if you plan to watch it or have even heard of it. Nope. nope. Uh, or the game. Never heard of the game either, to be honest. I haven't played it myself, but it looks like Skyrim with tighter combat if the show's on par with Castlevania. Well, I loved Castlevania. Castlevania was a very, very pleasant surprise to me. Uh, when I like the first season was really easy to do because it was like four episodes, I think. I think the entire first season was like four episodes. So that was great. Uh, but no, at this point, I've never heard of Dragon's Dogma, but. Now that you've put it on my radar, Double Crit, I may have to go and check that out. Thank you for putting it on the radar. All right. Joel Effing Kivirata writes, Nationwide theater chain in Finland owned by AMC turned down the volume levels for Tenant from the ones set by WB after complaints by customers. And we have subtitles. Oh, nice. I uh, got Disney Plus for 12 months for 60 euro on Monday. Almost double content versus our Netflix. Well, I mean... Disney Plus's content library is laughably, laughably insignificant compared to the Netflix library we have here. But I don't know what the Netflix library is like in other countries. I know when I go to Canada, I, I, I realize how different the Netflix library 
uh, is there than it is here. So I don't really know much about that. And uh, count yourself lucky. A lot of people have been wishing Tenet had subtitles. A lot of people have been wishing Tenet had subtitles. That's Why? Good on you. Why? I haven't oh, seen it. Well, one of the big complaints about certain Christopher, not all Christopher Nolan movies, but some, is that sometimes his audio mix is really bad. Oh, right. We talked about this yeah, last and week. That, right. that results in sometimes there are conversations going on screen. You have no I, I saw Tenet and like there was a number. There are some scenes where you're not supposed to know what the other person's saying, okay. which is cool. But there's a lot of scenes where you are supposed to know what's being said, and I just couldn't understand what was being said. I have and to a lot tell of people you, have had that experience. We have. There was. I forget what show it was, but I would get so frustrated that the actors were mumbling. Actually, I, I remember what it is, but I'm not going to say it because I don't want to out the actors. Um, but there are. Tom and I just have the subtitles on or the, the closed captioning on everything we watch now because the number of times that i have to go wait what do they say what like i'm i'm like 80 years old what what mm -hmm. and a lot of times it's not even necessarily the mixing it's just this i don't know this thing about actors maybe who don't have theater trainer or whatever it is but are so marble mouthed that you cannot understand what's what they're saying and it, it drives me it drives me crazy here's what makes it worse too is that televisions are not a lot of televisions are not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, calibrated properly right. with their audio. Because I watch, there are a number of times that a television show's on and it's like the, I'm sure it was fine for some people's televisions, but like the sound effects and music would be way high and the right. dialogue levels would be really super So anytime low. there's an explosion, you have to lower the oh, volume. Right. And then, and then every time someone's talking, you have to, yes, that drives me nuts. That happens with some televisions as well. I mean, and it differs from television to television, program to program. So I hope they find a way. But with I almost care more about the audio than I do the visual quality. I do too. Like, I don't care how many megapixels or whatever, you know, if I can see it and I can't see the pixels, great, I'm fine. I don't need to see someone's nose hair in order to be able to enjoy something. I do need to know what they're saying, though. Well, that's why when you watch any half-decent YouTuber giving tips on for other people to do YouTube, we all say the same thing. Your audio is way more important than your video. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can use a cheap webcam and that's fine, but make sure you've got a decent mic. Mm -hmm. Make sure you do decent with your audio. Like right now, I've got a $1,000 camera on me and a $56 camera on Aaron. What the fuck? <laughs> that's only be <laughs> that's, that's like... <laughs> only because my other camera that is normally for you is still packed up with our movie shooting gear. That's that's why. That's why right now. But, but for right now. But look. Look how good Aaron's image is. Like, I, I mean... Yes, the $1,000 camera, the image is a little bit better, but I mean, look how good that, but it's fine because she sounds good. Yes. Right. And she obviously always looks good, but I mean, she's, well, you also good. have three layers of pantyhose over my screen. So. <laughs> but I mean, anybody get that reference? All about the audio. It's Very all true. about the audio. And that's, that's why for some people it can be kind of frustrating. Okay. Sorry. We're way behind on questions. We've got to keep rolling here. Uh, Canada rocks writes, uh, love your conspiracy theory, John. I'm talking about the Jason Momoa stuff. Uh, just a correction on the use of wrestling jargon. When a wrestler gets paid to lose, that's a job. Yes, that is a job. The other time it's called a work is what, what I should have called. It's called a work. Um, when the bookers try to pass off a scripted story as real, that's called a work. A story that is real is called a shoot. 
Oh, I've, I didn't know that one. I didn't know that last one. But yes, you're right. What what we've got Warner Brothers doing is an absolute work. That is my conspiracy theory, and I'm holding to it. Thank you for the uh, terminology correction on that, Canada Rocks. It's pronounced Igor, or Igor writes. Um, hey, John. Um, speaking of Tarantino, when... Sorry, my thing's better. Speaking of Tarantino, when is he finally going to release the legendary Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair, already? Do you think... It could one day happen sooner rather than later. I don't really see, I, I don't know why we care, to be honest with you. So I, I don't know if you know about this, Aaron, mm -mm. but so Quentin Tarantino made Kill Bill, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happened with Kill Bill was it was supposed to be originally one movie. Right. And then the Weinsteins said, probably smartly, I got to give them credit where credit's due, said, Let's break this into two films. Uh, we'll be able to double, you know, our box office and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it worked. So Quentin Tarantino's talked for a while about re-cutting it back into one movie and releasing it call, and calling it Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair. Okay. But I don't really care because I've seen it already. Like I can watch Kill Bill Volume One right now and then immediately watch Kill Bill Volume Two if I'm if it's really important to me. Yeah. So I I I don't really care. I mean, I wasn't there supposed to be a third Kill Bill that we were going to get, I mean, which is like the daughter. Yes, there's been some talk the about the daughters coming. Yeah, like that is what I would want to see. Like, why would I want to see a truncated version of two movies that I've already seen multiple times? I want to see new information. I want to see you know sh uh, scenes that were deleted that never made it onto the you know the the special features. I want to see something new, not something. Not, not, not less of what I already yeah. liked. I'm, I'm with you. I'm totally. I'd be far more about whatever that next Kill Bill thing was right. going to be about the girl's daughter coming back later to seek revenge. But uh, that's what I'd be interested in. All right. Uh, next up, uh, but hot dog rights. Uh, did you know if Zack Snyder's Army uh, of the Dead was actually filmed on location in Las Vegas? Seeing zombies getting blasted against familiar Vegas landmarks sounds heavenly. I don't know for sure, but I, it would be very easy to shoot around Vegas because there's a lot of desert mm -hmm. and it'd be really cheap mm -hmm. <laughs> to shoot there. So I'm hoping I, by the way, quite excited to see this new zombie movie from him. I think this is him kind of getting, getting back in touch with some of his roots. Cause obviously he's got a bit of a background with the zombie genre. I think this is going to be fun. So I don't know for a fact that he did shoot in Vegas, but considering it would probably be cheaper, it's really close to California, so it's just easy to drive out there and do it. I'm going to guess, but it's only a guess, I'm going to guess that he did. All right, 50 Shades of Geek writes, if you start a streaming service for your feet, don't call it John Campia Plus, you should call it Net Geo. get it? I guess, so I don't know, you, you probably didn't hear this, Aaron, so we were talking about how all these premium streaming services, Paramount Plus now is coming. They're rebranding CBS All Access to Paramount Plus. We got ESPN oh, right. Plus and we got Disney Plus. We got Apple TV Plus. I said, I'm going to do a, my own streaming service. John Campia Plus. It's going to be 24 hour streamings of just my feet. John Campia's feet. There you go. But Joey my, will love it. Joey, yeah. Joey licks my feet. Like while we're doing the show, this little bit of information people didn't need to know. But uh, what some people may not know is that my real name is actually not John. 
My real name is, you know this, my real name is actually Giovanni. So there are a bunch of my Because he's Italian. Because I am Italian. And that was what I did to Tom our entire- how accurate that accent of yours was. You sound just like my aunts and grandmother. That was incredible. Well, you know, um, unfortunately for Tom, he had to spend the entire 14 days of our honeymoon in Italy listening to me talk like these. And I'd be like, he's my husband. And he's like, you're not Borat. Stop it. (laughs) He was like, I still have time to annul this marriage. We are in the window of annulment if you don't stop using that horrible Italian accent. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so a lot of my friends still call me Geo, and so yes, um, Net Geo. That's a gr- that's a great name for a streaming that is pretty service great because that's, there is a that, Net Geo. Good. There is a, something called Net Geo. Okay, anyway, National Geographic Net Geo. Uh, all right, next up. Um, uh, butt sniffing dog rights. Have you seen there's an hour long South Park episode for COVID coming out later this month? <gasps> I'm more stoked for this than any other piece of entertainment. Uh, I feel there's a dire need for the coronavirus to get the South Park treatment. Yes. Are you excited to? Yes. Listen, South Park to me is a very hit and miss show. It's a very hit and miss show. But when it hits, oh my God. It is some of the most classic stuff ever. The episodes they did on the writer's strike, the Canada on strike episode, uh, back in the day when the WGA writer's strike was oh, going on. I didn't on. see that. Oh my God. It's, they used, the, the analogy was, it was totally about the writer's strike. Right. But instead of the writers going on strike, it was Canada went on strike. Okay, I'm going to go and back and watch that. it was using all the WGA issues with their, oh my God, uh-huh. it was so fun. They talk about internet money on it. Anyway, they, their episodes about World of Warcraft, Amazing. Tom Cruise. Cooking Network and Creme Fraiche. Amazing. Shake Weight. When they do do on that stuff, it can be incredible. So yeah, them doing a COVID episode Mm -hmm. could be gold. Is South Park something that's watched in the... Aaron Cummings, Tom Daniel. Oh, big time. We are, we, are, we are big South Park fans. We can watch episodes over and over again. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're big fans. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Next up, we've got an anonymous viewer who writes, Hey, John and company, theoretically speaking, if you think Tony would be able to lift Mjolnir if they revived him after he made the sacrifice to take out Thanos and his army? No. Nope. Uh, yes, he did one thing. Uh, very selflessly, yes. But the standard of lifting Mjolnir, I think, goes well beyond just one really incredibly selfless act. Because if that were the case, then tens if not hundreds of thousands of fallen servicemen and women would be able, who sacrificed their lives for for what they considered to be the greater good, would be able to lift Mjolnir. So I will go out and say, no, I, I do not think, that's just my guess of the MCU writers will write whatever the MCU writers wanna write. But no, I do not think that if they do bring back Tony, which they will at some point, by the way, but when they bring back Tony, that he would be able to lift Mjolnir. So no, I don't think so. Can I say something real quick? Yes. Mom, we're live. Stop texting me. Oh, is your mom texting you right now? My phone keeps buzzing and I'm like, and, and I'm, I'm looking down and she's like, oh, wasn't Artemis the name of your port? Yes, mom, it was. Oh, I like that shirt. Did you buy your plants? No, mom, I didn't buy my plants. I will call you That's after the show. I keep seeing you out of the corner of my eye. Like, and I'm like, yes. And I'm like, mom, I, mom, mom, I will call you back when the show is over. You know, I call you every Thursday. As soon as I leave here and I'm walking Joy around the block, I will call you. Thank you. All right. 
There you go, Mom. <laughs> oh, hello, Mama Aaron. All right, next up. One, two, three, Clank writes, uh, Marvel has to make Secret Wars movie to be bigger than Endgame, and I bet Doctor Doom will have a main role in that epic event film. They, well, look, let's be, look, Marvel doesn't have to do anything. Marvel doesn't have to do a single thing. All they have to do is make great movies. And just because a, a certain story in a comic book movie is great, does that, that doesn't mean automatically it's going to be a great movie or anything like that, or that it'll be bigger or whatever. But to your point, I mean, Secret Wars is certainly one of the stories that have been rumblings about, but they can do, they don't have to do that one. There's many they could do that could be excellent or great, or maybe the next comic book movie that gets nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. But there are certainly, it's certainly one of their options. Tiberius writes, Hi, John. Last week, Aaron gave me advice on how to support my wife in her acting pursuits. Well, last week, after an audition did not go as hoped, I took that advice, told her I loved her, was proud of her, and then bought her some edible cookie dough. Thank you, Aaron. Is, is that like the winning recipe? That's the winning recipe, right? Is oh that the winning gosh, recipe? Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You did exactly what we were supposed to do. I was really nervous that that wasn't going to go well, but I'm so happy that you took that advice. And you know what? For anyone out there who has a partner or a loved one, who is in a challenging profession or, you know, every once in a while just has a bad day. I have learned myself having a partner uh, that the best way to do it is always just to go, you know what? I love you. I'm so sorry. And here's something that helps you helps make your day better. I can't even imagine that as a spouse, what that's like, because I'll, I'll tell you what, because well, as, what's like someone having a bad day? Well, Anne, no, no, but I, mean, I no, know I, that Anne has a perfect life, but and I've well, never she's seen her too. Exactly, and I've never seen her in a bad mood. Oh no, never. I, I literally have never seen Anne in a bad mood ever about anything. She's pretty great. Yes, but I mean, like having to be that support system for somebody in a career that has such a disproportionately massive yeah. high quote-unquote failure rate mm -hmm. oh yeah I, i've got a lot of friends in the acting business who like for every hundred auditions they go to they'll maybe land something if they're lucky. maybe yeah if, if they're, they're lucky, lucky one right. out of every hundred exactly. that's a pretty good streak right because I, I can't even imagine that pressure as a spouse because when you tell me that you're auditioning for something that gets that i get excited about i am constantly like like when my, whenever I hear the, the the notifications on my phone, is it Aaron? Is she telling me about whether she got the thing? Like I remember when you were going out for Dynasty, yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm like I'm just waiting to hear back from Aaron. Did she get the Dynasty thing? I remember when you started talking about certain things, whatever, and you just told like me- Like what I told you about today. Show. Aaron just told me something pre-show that- I know I'm going to be so, so What's really exciting about that audition is literally the second the audition came through, I was like, oh my God, if I get this, the John Campia fans will lose their shit. They would freak out. Well, and John Campia will lose his and shit. And John Campia will lose his shit. Uh, yes. Kind of like I did when you got the Lucifer thing. Like, right. You know, like I was like, ah! Like I was yeah. Well, you that. know, I mean, but, but, well, what's funny is that, like, for me, what I've learned is the second that I finished the audition, I literally just, I, I farted out of my brain. It doesn't even exist. And then Tom and I will be watching something and he'll go, Oh, you auditioned for that part. And I'm like, what? I did? And he goes, yes. Don't you remember? And he, this was the casting director. Or he'll bring up some television show that I auditioned for. And I go, no, I, I, I don't even, I've never even heard of that show. And he's like, I literally coached you for four hours on it. You put yourself on tape. I, I don't, that's the, that's how See, I, I had to imagine deal with it. Being, I can't like, so I feel so much stress just as a friend of somebody who does that. I can't even imagine being a, a spouse. So good on you, Tiberius. Good on you, sir, yes, for what you did. Yes, proud of you. All right, uh, next up, Ryan Lohner writes, 
Remember when Madonna made a movie about how Edward VIII and uh, Wallace Simpson were too good for this sinful earth and all the Nazi stuff was just dirty, filthy lies? Uh, that probably says all we need to know about how this biopic is going to turn out. So for those of you who don't know what Ryan's talking um, about, Madonna, <clears throat> a couple things. News just came out that Madonna is going to write, direct, and produce her own biopic, which I have some reservations about. But um, she has directed other things. She did this movie about uh, King Edward VIII, who is the king who abdicated the throne, which led to Queen Elizabeth's dad becoming king, which led to Queen Elizabeth becoming our reigning monarch, God save the queen. Um, I'm Canadian, I'm part of that. So anyway, uh, so she did this, Madonna directed this movie that had Oscar Isaac in it, as a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, called, uh, I don't know if it was called We or W-E. I keep forgetting if it was W-E or if it w was- W slash E. W slash right. E. Is, yeah, yeah. Is I, mean, I don't know how it's called, but that's what I remember seeing that. You yeah. know what? It actually, it actually wasn't a bad little movie. I, it actually wasn't a bad little movie, to be honest with you. I, I, did you ever get a chance to see it? Mm -mm. I only watched it because Anne is kind of obsessed with the royalty. So, I mean, so there was that. Uh, anyway, uh, Captain Blue Pants writes, not sure if it's been mentioned before, but here in the UK, there's ad campaigns set up by the UK Cinema Association called Hashtag Love Cinema, encouraging people to return to the movies, informing audiences of industry-wide codes of conduct to build confidence. See, that's great. I don't know. That might be why you're seeing international markets doing way better with their mm -hmm. theater returns than you are seeing in North America. There has not been an organized, concerted effort on the part, I mean, there was like some kind of little hashtag thing they got going, but the studios and the theaters, Aaron, should have been working together on this to really raise awareness, like really hype up that Lord of the Rings is in theaters again. Come see Lord of the Rings. And they, they should have done that. And they, we see other theater systems around the world seem to be putting in more effort and they're getting better results. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. What, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Um, there's a lot of things that I'm thinking that because of this show, I won't say, um, because we are a show about movies, but I think that that actually kind of dips into a larger issue, which is when, you know, yes, France can do that because France has one national message of how, and granted France is a much smaller country than America is. So maybe that's a bad example, but you know, we have very different rules. We're handling COVID state by state overall. And so I don't know what movie theaters are open. I mean, even in the state of California, which is a very large state, we might have theaters that are open in one part of California that are not open in Los Angeles and vice versa. So the fact is, I think it would be very challenging for the film industry to have these commercials um, unless they just had one commercial and they said, okay, whenever that particular market opens their theaters again, we'll start airing that commercial. You know, the, the reality is that in America, we're all dealing with COVID in different ways. You know, I haven't had a manicure in six months. I don't care. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just pointing that out. And then I look at, you know, something when I had Facebook and my friends are just like, we're at brunch. And I'm like, wait, where are you brunching? So um, the fact is we have a very different, it's, it's different everywhere. And so there isn't one universal plan that all movie theaters can abide by because not all movie theaters are open right now. Some are, some aren't. Yeah, and it does make it, it adds to the challenge. Absolutely. All right, James Germain writes, Hey, John, hope uh, over or under 40% that Blade will get at least a mention or even appear in a little cameo in Morbius 
Keep it healthy. Okay, so there's a lot of moving pieces to that because we were just talking. Technically speaking, Morbius is not connected to the MCU where Blade is going to appear. But because of the Morbius trailer and what we were just talking about Olivia Wilde stuff as well, there's growing evidence that maybe Sony and Marvel are going to become even more intimate with each other, crossing things over, which Morbius is a vampire character. Blade is a vampire related character. Maybe I will say this. It is far more likely today than it would have been a while ago that you could see either a cameo or a mention of Blade in something like Morbius. 40% though is still way too high. 40% is still way too high. I think there is a chance. And I wouldn't have said that a certain number, a certain period of time ago. But I do think there's a chance. But 40%, that's too close to a coin flip. I don't think it's that high of a chance. I put it more like around 10%. 10% that maybe we could see that happen. And if we were to see Blade, would we see, I mean... It wouldn't be Wesley Snipes' Blade. No, no, no. They've already announced uh, that oh, yeah. Mahershala Ali is oh, Blade. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Do you remember the Spike TV um, series Blade? With, oh, what's the name? Of the Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers. Blade. Listen, I'll tell From you Onyx. What, I didn't hate that show. I didn't hate that show. I was actually interning for the casting. I thought you were about to say you were in it. It's like, I have no recollection of you being in that. Okay, so I have interning. a story for you off camera. Okay. Um, I was not in it. Yes, but there's a story behind that. Um, but I was interning for the casting director at the time. And so I was actually running the camera for the studio tests. Right. Of that show. And so I was actually in the room when Sticky Fingers like came in and did his test, but they already knew that he was going to get the job. So they actually told him in the room, which was kind of cool being able to like see his reaction to realizing he's the new blade. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a very illuminating experience, um, not with that particular character, but some of the other characters, how they were auditioning them that I was like, oh, wow, this industry is um Pretty fucked up. <laughs> and <laughs> that's what not fair at all. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Let's move on here. Um, uh, where are we at? Okay. We're at Anonymous. And an Anonymous viewer writes, It's funny that I keep seeing some people now criticizing Nolan's past films on their sound, saying that he's had problems in the past. But four out of his last five films were nominated for Best Sound Mixing at the Oscars with Inception and Dunkirk. Oddly enough, Inception, although I will say in Inception, there were some level issues, but... Overall, Inception was one of those films that was perfectly fine. Uh, Dunkirk, I never, ever had a problem in Dunkirk. Clearly hearing everything going on, including all the dialogue. But there, there have been some situations, and it just seems to come up more with Christopher Nolan more than with other directors. A, a lot of other directors, I've never had an issue with that. With Christopher Nolan, there have been several occasions that it has. But it's not to be confused with the fact that, that every Christopher Nolan has major sound mixing issues. Not at all. Not at all. But there definitely are more than the average director. That, I think that's just the, the, the point there. But yeah, it should not be interpreted as that saying the majority or all of Christopher Nolan's films do, do that because they clearly do not. All right. BC33 writes, John, I'm curious. What was the final total amount you raised in your eight-hour live stream? I remember you said uh, at the time you had to wait for the Super Chats to process, but I don't remember if you ever said what the total amount was. I don't think I ever did say what the total amount was because I don't know if I can remember what it was because what happened, we raised about $12,000 of donations came in uh, for the fundraiser for, uh, for uh, COVID relief for a bunch of people. But of course, there's a chunk of that that YouTube keeps one-third. 
And so of the super chats that came in and I can't remember, I just remember what the, the overall number was, but I can't remember what the final net number was, but it was great. I mean, what, what it was great, whatever it was, it was a, it was terrific. What you guys did and the amount of money that you guys raised for that was absolutely outstanding. All right, next up. Uh, Ryan Trabuco writes, Hey, John, I uh, just got through the first couple of episodes of Kim's Convenience. I know y'all said it was hysterically funny, but I was not prepared for how good it has been so far. Let me tell you something. I love, Aaron, I've been getting so many people writing in the last number of days saying, fine, I went and checked out Kim's Convenience and how many people are loving it. I am so glad that you guys are checking it out and loving it. I showed you, Aaron mm -hmm. and Tom, the first scene of episode one. Um, have you guys had a chance to watch any of the episodes yet? Because you really need to at some point. I'm not going to lie. We started watching episode one and I just didn't. You didn't like Kim's Convenience? I'm not going to say that I didn't like it. I just didn't find it as funny oh i found my it, heart hurts i just i found it a little forced oh i thought it was so great and it's here's so the great. thing i'm not saying that it's not i mean you know i i i just i try to get into it but you know what i also said to you right before the show started that with the boys season two i felt like the first episode of the second season kind of fell flat to me it didn't have the same like oh shit factor that the pilot episode did with the dismembered hands you know oh my gosh um but as i'm now on episode four of the boys it is the second season is more than meeting my expectations so with kim's convenience I will give it a couple of episodes because, you know, I, I understand it. First episode doesn't necessarily always give you the whole picture. It takes a few to get in there. So I will do this. I promise by next week I will have watched the first three episodes of Kim's Convenience. Okay. And if I still am not feeling yeah, it. You if you're not feeling some after three episodes, you should probably ditch on it. I, yeah. it, is, I, I, it is my but I know that you love it. show on TV and right I now. And I support that. Oh, at least you're giving it a try. Hey, listen, it is, uh, we've kept you overtime here. It's past 1130. Oh my goodness. Um, so I know, oh, there. Oh, Joey. Someone's ready for a walk. Someone's ready for her walk. Uh, so thank Joyce. you for being we'll here for today, as you always do on Thursdays. Where in the meantime, Aaron, can people follow you and uh, your adventures online? Oh, well, please come visit me uh, at, okay, keep, she's in an upward dog. Up, up, up. Uh, please come visit me at Aaron L. Cummings on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, yeah, until then, take care of yourselves and each other. And uh, thank you again for being here. And we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, guys, that is, of course, the one, the only Erin Cummings in here on Thursdays. Always good to have her here. But we still have some time. So let's keep getting through your live questions. The next one comes to us from I Don't Get Likes, who writes, Regarding the Spider-Man thing, I'll believe they're connected when Kevin Feige says says it, not a director who's making a movie for a whole nother company. Uh, all we know for fact is that Kevin Feige has said Spider-Man can cross over. Oh, no. And you're absolutely right about that. You are 100% right about that, and you are 100% right to have that frame of mind. We should not take anything as a fact until we hear Disney, Marvel, Kevin Feige, one of the actual principals say, these things are now officially connected, right? Until that happens, don't take as fact. But we can still speculate based on what they're showing us. That Morbius trailer, man. With Spider-Man mural on the wall, the Spider-Man mural by itself doesn't really definitively say anything. But then Michael Keaton in there, in the same outfit that he's in at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming. And now this little thing, it, it, 
it at least gives us room to speculate, but you're 100% right. We should not take it as fact. Absolutely not until we hear Kevin Feige or, you know, Alan Horn or somebody like that uh, confirm that. Damo Davies writes, sorry, I've not tipped in a while. Dude, you are no obligation to tip. You tip, you tip. Then we're just grateful for it, man. Thank you so for that. No longer under the threat of redundancy in these uncertain times. So expect a few more questions. Greetings from the UK. Well, thank you for being here, Damo, man. I appreciate that. And thank you for supporting the channel, dude. All right. Damo also writes, Greetings from the UK. Out of the directors of the first three Alien movies, Ridley Scott, James Cameron, and David Fincher, who is your personal favorite and who is the most consistent director in terms of quality? There's a very strong argument to be made for David uh, Fincher. Ridley Scott is iconic, but he also went through like a 10-year period where he cranked out some pretty bad movies. So, I mean, he's seen he's back on his game now. He's back. Thankfully, he's back on his game. He kind of came back into power with uh, the Martian he did, which was uh, great with that he did with Matt Damon. But I, I'll take him out of that. There's a strong argument to be made for David Fincher. But listen, as unpopular as it's it, the cool thing is to trash on James Cameron these days. But the fact of the matter is, James Cameron has never let me down. And what he's made the two biggest up until Endgame, he made not the number one, but the number one and the number two biggest box office films of all time. He made my all-time favorite action film, which is True Lies, the the Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Tom Arnold, True Lies. It's my all-time favorite action film. Um, He's just so I, I, like I said, I think there's a very, very valid argument to be made for David Fincher, but I'm going to have, I'm going to go personally, I'm going to go with James Cameron. I'm going to personally go with James Cameron. All right. Next up, Damo Davies also writes, in my view of the final season of Smallville, in my view, the final season of Smallville is the most pitch perfect iteration of Superman we have had to date. I don't know about that. Uh, Lois and Clark are engaged. President-elect Luther, uh, the Williams Superman score kicks in. Perry White's great Caesar's ghost line. It's amazing. Mm. Listen, I really liked Smallville. The final season was not the strongest season of Smallville. I'll just say that. I And I, I'm a big fan of Smallville. The final season is not the strongest thing they did and yeah just because you touch on a couple things like hey he says this line that doesn't make it good that doesn't make it good um but hey I mean listen it's all subjective if you watch that final season of smallville and it's the one that really knocks it out of the park for you that's awesome i didn't have the same experience with it that's fine you know i i i thought this the series started to lose a little bit of steam particularly like maybe after season uh, season six but uh, overall, I love the season. I just didn't think the last season was the best one. That's just me, though. Uh, I did love that last scene, though, where you finally just little glimpse of him being Superman, actually. I mean, that was kind of cool, too. Uh, Doolittle's mom writes, who do you think took the bigger uh, L this week? Mulan flopping hard in China, Tenet failing to save the box office in theaters, or Kawhi pandemic PG and the Clippers choking hard in the second round when a lot of people had them pegged to win the finals? That's easy. I don't really... You, there's no movie coming out right now that I will ascribe any kind of a loss to because these are the only movies that had the guts to come out right now. These are the only two movies that had the guts to come out right now. And so, and it's in a pandemic and it's totally un, unthink. You can't judge what a movie does right now by normal circumstances. Kawhi couldn't go to the finals without Toronto. It's just, it's just that simple. 
not only, and I love Kawhi, don't get me, this is me bashing on Kawhi. Kawhi is one of the best players in the world. But not only did the Clippers, this is the great, the biggest choke in the history of the NBA. Because not only were the Clippers up three games to one, but in games five, six, and seven, in all three of those games where all they had to do was win one to wrap it up, they had double-digit leads in all of them. In all of those games, they had double-digit leads. And they choked away game five, they choked away game six, and they choked away game seven. And after being up three games to one, they lose the series. It is the most phenomenal choke job I've ever seen in basketball. It's the most phenomenal choke job I've ever seen in basketball, uh, which is unfortunate because Kawhi's great. But uh, but yeah, that that that's definitely definitely the big one goes to the uh, Clippers this week. And I'm a big fan. I like the Clippers. Anyway, uh, Sam writes one of two. What's a Bay movie you hate? That isn't Transformers. Uh, mine is Armageddon. Oh, I, I, I'll tell you what. Armageddon is one of my biggest guilty pleasure movies. I actually, I am unapologetic. I really like Armageddon. I really like Armageddon. Uh, and Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, not so much. I uh, haven't seen Pearl in a while, so I watched it on HBO Max. It's, it is just bad. Uh, Affleck shoehorns a southern accent. Harnett is wooden and Beckinsale is unlikable. Uh, the romance is just so awful and bogged down with melodrama. Tries to be like Titanic, a movie I also dislike. Uh, but in the sky, good action though. No, I agree with you. Pearl Harbor isn't so great. Um, I was not big on the island. Uh, Michael Bay's The Island. I was not big on the island at all. I, I I really don't like that that movie whatsoever. So if the my most my biggest go to one after any of the Transformers movies other than the first one, because there's a number of his films I really quite like. Obviously, uh, uh, Armageddon, um, uh, Pain and Gain. I actually quite like. I, I thought that was a nice one too. I like Pain and Gain. But but yeah, The Island is one I generally go to more than any other when thinking about that stuff. All right, next up, 50 Shades of Geek Rights. I was wondering uh, if you've seen the trailer for the upcoming Hogwarts video game and what did you think about it? I wasn't planning on getting the PS5 anytime soon, but now it might look like I'll have to with this and the new Lego Star Wars game. Actually, my wife Anne is a major, major uh hogwarts she's a major harry potter universe fan loves harry potter so i had heard of the trailer but last night she came down to the t took the tv remote for me and put on the new trailer for that i gotta tell you it looks pretty good it's kind of in a way it kind of feels like a skyrim or a world of warcraft in a, almost in a way it feels like a world of warcraft a little bit where you know you kind of pick your own adventure you do your own thing you develop your character you can take it any way you want to go has a little bit of that feel to it. I, I got to say, it looked pretty good. I'm not a Potterhead, but it did look pretty intriguing. I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I'm intrigued and, and tempted to play that game. So I think I probably will get a PlayStation 5, even though I barely touch my PlayStation. I will probably get a PlayStation 5, and that's probably going to be one of the games that I do try uh, that I do try out. Okay, next up. A man nicknamed Pooh Bear writes... Just wanted to thank you, Rob, Aaron, Chris, and Joey Bishop for all the positive energy you guys give in the film community. Today, I celebrate my 49th birthday. Happy birthday to you, my friend. Uh, and part of my day will be spent with you guys. Can't wait for Burbank AMC uh, is a thing again. I miss it. Dude, I miss the Burbank AMC so bad. I mean, you, you just don't even realize how much time you spend at a place until suddenly 
you can't be at that place anymore. And that's when it really becomes aware to you. And I miss going to that place very bad. I mean, it's, I've got to go to the movie theaters a couple times in the last few weeks, which is great, but none of them have been the AMC Burbank 16. Anyway, Pooh Bear, happy birthday to you, Mamie. You have a great day and a great year ahead of you, and I hope you have a good one, my friend. All right, next up, The Adrenaline Knight writes, Hey, John and friends. Uh, so not a question, just a statement. If movies were kept just like the comics, wouldn't they be boring? We would just know everything that happens. Um... Well, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Some comic books are written very cinematically where the audience is only only knows what the audience is supposed to know at the time. And there are big like that's suggesting that there are no big surprises or reveals in comics. There are. There definitely are. To me, it's not about that. It's just about some some storytelling approaches work much more effectively on a printed page. And some storytelling approaches work work much more effectively in a live action environment, be it on a television screen or a movie screen. So that's why you always have to do adaptation. And uh, and yeah, but I, I but I wouldn't suggest that comic books don't have surprises and comic books don't have twists and don't and comic books don't you know take three to where they weren't expecting it to go. Of course they do, not all of them, but 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 for the most part they do. All right, next up, Bojax writes. Hello, John. It's being reported that Disney Plus has made $260 million on Mulan and that they are very pleased with its performance. Do you think other studios might start releasing big movies on uh, PVOD? And if so, will exhibitors be in even more trouble? Here's the thing. This is the problem. Mulan was a potentially billion dollar film. To know just how much people were looking forward to Mulan, the first trailer for Mulan is like the number six biggest trailer of all time. Uh, I think it's like number six or number five biggest trailer of all time in like the number of views it had in the first 24 hours, only behind, I believe, a couple of Marvel movies. Other than that, Mulan. Uh, and by the way, I heard that $260 million number is not accurate. I heard it's actually lower than that. But let's go with $260 million. You don't think if there wasn't a pandemic right now and they did their full theatrical release that after three or four weeks that Mulan wouldn't have already been closer to $600 million, $700 million? Of course it would have. Of course it would have. I'm not saying it would have necessarily got to a billion like it had the potential of having it not, ne not necessarily would have gotten to a billion like the potential it had, but hell in North America alone, it probably would have made 500 million alone. So even if you want to be overly optimistic and look at that 20, $260 million thing, that's pathetic compared to what it would have made in a theatrical run. Had there not been a pandemic and had there not been all that kind of stuff, if we had just been living in a normal thing, the number five most, if you want to know how many people were excited for that movie, look how many people went and checked out the trailer. I think it was just ahead of it and look how much money the first it made. First it made like, I think it was around the $800 million, seven, $800 million mark. I think even more people watched the Mulan trailer. It would have done significantly better. If anything, even if that $260 million number is accurate, and I've heard it is not, but let's say it is, that still represents 
an incredible flop compared to what the numbers would have been. And as I say, even if Mulan didn't get to its billion dollar potential, it would have been probably easily triple that number. Triple. So, no, I don't think Disney is particularly thrilled with it. I don't think Disney is particularly thrilled with it. But, you know, all, all things being, we'll see what happens in the future. Um, let's see here. St. Campion writes, uh, Hi, John and crew. Raised by Wolves is renewed for season two. I'm beyond elated. Also, I generally love kids. But by the end of episode seven, my murdering hate for Joffrey uh, Baratheon type kid is uh, reawakened. This show is fucking spectacular. I've, I'm only up to episode four. I didn't even know their episode seven was out yet. I'm only up to episode four, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but yes, I am enjoying that show so far. I mean, I'm not loving it, but I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm, I'm on, it's, it's got me. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with this show and I'm enjoying watching it. I'm not loving it to the level that I'm loving the boys or anything like that, but, but I am enjoying it. I'm having a good time with it, but I'm only up to episodes four so far. So I haven't gone beyond that. All right. Isaac Z writes, been a week since I finished The Leftovers and I still can't stop uh, thinking about it. Characters were amazing. Acting was uh, top notch. Loved the themes. The soundtrack was just perfect. I think it's a masterpiece. I also fell in love with Carrie Coon. So hold on a second here. Let me just bring something up here. Uh, because, yeah, I never watched The Leftovers. I never watched The Leftovers. I was, you know, what I was thinking of. I was thinking of um, what's his name, the dude who was the writer for the Watchmen series, and uh, Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof. I was thinking of that one Damon Lindelof show. Uh, what was it called? Uh, Left Behind, or the, or maybe it was. Maybe it is The Leftovers. Maybe that is the one I'm thinking of. Anyway, haven't seen this. Yeah, yeah, this is the right one. That's right. Damon Lindelof is the the right on this one. Never did watch it. I, I heard that. I've heard some people say they hated it. I heard some people say they love it, but I never actually gave that one a shot. I, at some point, someday, I'm going to have to binge that and check it out and see what uh, what that's all about. All right. Seymour writes, who sends in $20. Thank you, Seymour, for supporting the channel on that level. Just want to make sure I didn't accidentally, we didn't have a jump. Uh, no, everything looks good. Okay. Uh, where are we at? Seymour writes who tips in $20. Thank you for supporting the channel on that level, man. Hey, John, did you see the articles about Adult Swim passing on a cartoon about Rick Moranis in which he's a demon slaying protector of Earth? Uh, they felt no one would know who Rick Moranis was. I disagree. What do you think of this? I have not heard, I have not heard that story at all. I haven't heard that story at all. Uh, it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. Um, I don't know if Rick Moranis, and I'm saying, I, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm saying I don't know. I don't know if Rick Moranis is nearly as beloved here in the States as he is in Canada. Like he's a Canadian treasure, but I just don't know if he's as well-known or as beloved in the States as he is in, uh, you know, the, the, the crowning country of Canada. I just don't know. So it's hard for me to say, but then again, I, I, I have not heard this story, Seymour. I don't know if it's, if there's a lot of validity to it or not. I haven't seen the story myself, but I would watch that show. I would watch the hell out of that show. I'd watch the hell out of that show. All right. Final question of the day comes to us from Canada Rocks, who writes, 
Now that I've explained job, work, and shoot, time to explain uh, Mark out. In the old days, wrestlers called fans who believed it was real marks. Oh, okay. Uh, so if you mark out for something, you completely buy into it and become a fan. I see. Oh, uh, yeah, I've not really heard. I know what a mark is in a con. I know what a mark is in a con. I've never heard it applied that way in a wrestling terminology. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm really grasping what your definition of marking out to a movie would be like, I don't know. I, I would have to think about that, but I always like using good wrestling terminology. Thank you for that. Canada rocks. All right, guys, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Thanks to Aaron, of course, Joey Bishop for being here for the show as well. Thanks to all of you guys for spending part of your time here. And a special thanks to you guys who did send in the questions. Because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us here, thank you guys very much for that. That will do it for me for now, guys. Thanks so much for being here. Remember, do the four important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. My name's John Campy, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.